You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's great uh, to be together today. Uh, Gabby, uh, our six-year-old, is so excited. And uh, that really has brought on a lot of joy in our household, too. And thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, if you're visiting from out of town, I just stand on up because I know that there's quite a few of us. Stand on up if you're visiting. I know from different places around the country. And uh, welcome. It's great to have you with us. It's great to have Veronica back with us, Mrs. Veronica. She's been married to West Side. Welcome back, Veronica. I'd like to welcome also Alexis Shump also. Uh, Alexis Shump is going to be a Shump for only like two more weeks, right? So after that, uh, she's off to get married, and uh, we're so happy that you're here uh, with us today. You know, we've been doing a series uh, about Jesus called uh, Prophet, Priest, and King. And these are different aspects of Jesus that we want to take a look at, especially during Christmas and the holiday season. And as we get ready for uh, contribution, I want to finish up the last part of that, which is uh, the prophet part. And, uh, you know, Jesus was an amalgamation of all those together. And, uh, you know, we want to study out the the prophet part as we look at Jesus. And we're going to transition to the priest part today as we think about Christmas. But let's pray before we get started. Father, we're so grateful that we can be together today to celebrate uh, God, the birth of Christ. We don't really know exactly when he was born. And there's a lot of different things. But we really do want to celebrate the birth itself, that it was the hope of mankind, that as we look at scriptures today, we're going to see how Jesus really helped us got to have our sins forgiven, as Juan talked about, that there was no one else that could do that mission except for him. Father, thanks so much again for this time that we can worship together as we get ready to take our contribution, as we get ready to learn from the word. Uh, Father, help us to be focused on you and uh, really to appreciate as no other people, perhaps, in this whole world understand what Christmas is, that uh, it is really such a glorious sight to see your son being born to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, let's take a look in uh, the book of Malachi. Today we're going old school. And uh, usually we... Um, oops, we're taking contribution away. Usually uh, we have a lot of like different media and stuff like that. But today, because of the holidays, we want to give our some of the guys a break and just go old school. In the book of Malachi, he was the last prophet. And uh, Malachi was the last one. Before him was a, a whole litany of different prophets that God had sent to the people. And then after him, there would be a 400 year of silence. So Malachi set the table for Jesus, but it took 400 years for Jesus to come. And there's a distinction between what a prophet is and a priest is. When you think about prophets, what do you think about? Someone who's kind of rugged, someone who tells the truth. The prophets are like the special forces of God's people. They come in, they tell the truth. People hate their guts sometimes. They were strong enough to speak to power. And the millennials were really like this. They, he was, they were especially uh, strong on social justice and equality and all those different things. But they also spoke the truth to people as well. And as Malachi closes out, this is what he says. 
in chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you know, don't worry. You can share with somebody or you can listen along. It's going to be a little bit of a Christmas feel today. It'll be like a Christmas story. So you can just kind of listen along as we go. Malachi chapter 3, and this is what he says. He says in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I mean, that's good news right there. But actually, that passage is really powerful for us today. Why do we celebrate Christmas? What is so special about Christmas? You know, where Gabby is six years old and she's trying to figure out what that means. And, uh, you know, for her, it's just a great time of year. She gets Christmas presents and she's looking forward to that. But this passage here explains to us why Christmas is so much more than that. The Bible says what? I, I, the Lord, do not change and that you are not destroyed. Well, the good thing about Christmas is that Jesus died for us, that God, according to his plan, he didn't destroy us. Because as God looks around the world, it is destined for destruction. When we watch the news today, when we look at our own families, when we see our friends and stuff, the stuff that they go through and all the incredible turmoil that goes around the world, there's something inside of us that knows that this is, it can't go on like this forever. One day it is going to be destroyed. And the world, including ourselves, will go along with that. That's why that passage is so incredibly encouraging because the Bible says, I, the Lord, do not change. And as we look at scriptures today, we're going to understand what that means more. That God, he's not like emotional. Like he looks at the words and he says, forget it, I'm done. My, my, you know, forget about the plans. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. I'm going to stick with my plans. And this is about 400 years before Jesus was born. And God told Malachi, I'm going to stick with my plans. Even though I look at the world today and I go, I'm so tempted to kind of go, done. I'm done with this. I, the Lord, do not change. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are all under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Verse 10, God says, bring in the whole tithe into the storehouse and there are many uh, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. God says, I can't wait to bless you. I, I am so eager to pour out my heart to you. But God says, do me a favor. Don't hold back from me as well. And God uses the prophet Malachi to challenge the people to say, man, give me your best. Give me everything that you got because I am in that position to do what? To give you everything that I have as well. So you see the prophet here and he's preaching the word and he's telling people, that, you know, there's good news coming. But in order for you to see this good news, for you to participate in this, 
you got to give me your best as well. And we turn to the book of Malachi in chapter 4, and this is the last piece of prophecy, basically, before John the Baptist. And Malachi was an incredible guy. He was at the same time as Nehemiah. And this is after the people of Israel had already gone into exile and they came back and they were rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. They were rebuilding their country. And Malachi says, listen, you've got to give God your best. And this is what he closed out with, the last prophecy here in Malachi chapter 4, in verse 4. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I, give, I gave them him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I know you guys are sitting there going, Ken, give us a break. It's Christmas Eve. Give us some like nice stories about Jesus in a manger, for goodness sake. I'm getting there, right? I'm getting there. But you know, it's really important to understand what you're getting. I mean, you don't know how valuable the gift is unless you really know the cost of it, right? And as we read these prophets, why were they so hated? They were so hated because they told the truth. They were so hated because they loved people enough to tell people. And the the prophets were like, no, I'm not giving you peace. I'm telling you the truth knowing that they themselves were in a position to tell the truth, but they, didn't, they weren't in a position to fix it. And that's where the good news come from. That as they were preaching the word, people heard the truth. But what it did for them was that in their hearts, they were searching for the answer. You're not going to appreciate Jesus You're not going to appreciate the birth of Christ unless you really understand why he came on this earth. He came on this earth because these prophets were telling us that this world, your lives, my life, it's heading for destruction. He says that this is the impetus for Jesus and the birth of Christ. Malachi loved and obeyed God's word by telling people the truth. And that's what prophets do. They tell the truth. So 400 years later, the Bible says what? That Elijah would come in the form of John the Baptist to herald in Jesus himself. John being the last great prophet, his job was to bring in the Messiah. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, Prophets told the truth, but priest stands in the gap. The title of our lesson today is simply entitled, Jesus, the Great High Priest. Jesus was our great high priest, and it's really the true Christmas story that we're going to look at this morning. This story started way, way, way in the book of Genesis. And it tells us a little bit about the function of what a priest does. That the priest was a man who stood in the gap between God and man. A priest was someone who took on, in a sense, offered the sacrifices to God as an atonement 
of sin for all of us today. And in the Old Testament, starting off in the book of Genesis, we're going to see the precursor of these priests, and that's Abraham himself. We're going to look at Abraham as the rudiment, the beginning of the priesthood. Let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, In verse 1. You guys there? Flipping those pages? All right. In Genesis chapter 12, the Bible says this about Abram. He says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So God plucked this guy. His name is Abram. And he was just like you and me. He was just a guy that God saw something in him and gave him a series of promises. And through these promises and throughout the rest of Genesis, most of Genesis, God was going to test this man to see if he had enough in his heart to be the man that God picked. And God says what to Abraham? So God says, listen, through you, I'm going to bless you, but not so that you get all these great gifts and sit around and open up these Christmas presents, but what? That you will be a blessing for other people as well. So you begin to see really the condition that God placed on Abraham. God says, I'm going to bless you, but you know what? You're not just going to sit around, but I'm going to use you to do great things. And in verse 3, the Bible says, all the peoples on the earth, you're going to affect the whole world as well. You know, there are so many people today that struggles with, why am I here? That syndrome, right? Why am I here? And uh, that, that depressing Christmas song, another year is over, and what have you done? You know, a lot of people feel that way. But I love the scripture because God says, I plucked this guy and I say, I'm going to use you, Abraham, to change the world. And Abraham held on to this as he thought about his life, the life that God has chosen for him. Look at Genesis chapter 15. So we follow the life of Abram. And Abram was walking through this desert. He got into a fight with somebody. And uh, what had happened was that And we're going to start off in Genesis chapter 14. He won the battle, and he made an alliance with the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom says, listen, Abram, I'm going to give you all the stuff that you want. Merry Christmas. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 21, the king of Sodom says, Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. He says, I want to still be king, but if I don't have any people, I can't be king. So keep the goods. Give me back my people. And in verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, with, with, uh, with raised hands I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten 
and Shear that belongs to the men who went with me, to Abner, to Ashkol, to Mamre, let them have their share. What did Abram say? Abram says, listen, I don't need anything from you. Why? Because I don't want anybody to say that you made me great. He was so loyal to God's promises in Genesis chapter 12 that he believed that God was going to do something great. He says, keep the goods, keep your people, king of Sodom, don't need it. Check this out in verse 1 of chapter 15. So we know that God sees this, right? God looked at Abraham's heart. And God said to Abraham, says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Isn't that cool? God looked around and he found a man named Abram. He gave him a set of promises. And he says, listen, you're my man. You're my man, Abram. And he gave him a series of different things in his life. And at every point, Abram did not, you know, like pass every single one of them. But there are moments in his life that God says, great job. You're my guy. And one of those moments was this moment here. And God looked at Abram and says, listen, because you have sought me first and put me first, God says, listen, you have me as your reward. Isn't that cool? God says, you're my friend. Let's go to Genesis chapter 18. And God picked this guy to stand up for us. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of day. Abram looked up and he saw three men standing there nearby. When he saw them, he, he hurried to the entrance, uh, from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed down to the ground. The Lord appears to Abraham, and in verse 3 he says, He says, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can refresh and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. You see, it's a relationship that God had with Abraham. And God says, listen, Abraham, I'm about to do something amazing, but I need your help in this. And this is, this is the seed to see why Jesus was our great priest. In verse 9 to verse 15, these guys were coming to do what? They were going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But before they did that, they made a stop at Abraham's place to give him some good news about the future in verse 9. They asked him, where is your wife Sarah? Then in the tent, uh, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them asked, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, 
after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? In verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and says, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. It's a funny story. And some of you guys are sitting there going, what the heck is all? What, where are you going with this, Ken? Well, I tell you where I'm going with this. Is that Jesus picked up, God picked this elderly couple. Set the stage in the world so that we can sit here today and to learn about Jesus. And we're going to see this amazing story about how God uses man Abraham to set up the Israelite people so they can look forward to this Messiah. I, the Lord, do not change that God had a plan. But it's so funny how God used regular people like you and myself. So we read this story, we see these are the people that God chose? Yes. An old guy and a woman who was afraid of these angels and lied in their midst. And I've always thought about this scripture here and says, why did the angel stuck to his gun and says, you did lie? I really think it's because God chose these people and they, he, God accepted them for who they are, but God expected them to really grow and change. And that for Sarah to become the woman that she needed to become, she needed to accept this one little thing and says, listen, you got to be honest. And say, yeah, I did lie. I wasn't honest about this. See, you see, God worked in the heart of Abraham and Sarah as well. And what did God say to him? He says, you know what? In the midst of all these things that's going on, I'm going to give you a son and he's going to be the seed for a future king. And your line will be the line that I've chosen to bring forth the Messiah. Isn't that a cool story? Ken, where are you going with this? Be patient with me. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 16, Abram the priest. When the men got up to leave, they, took down towards, they looked down towards Sodom and Abram walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do? Abram will surely become great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through them. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great that their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abram remained standing before the Lord. Then Abram approached him and says, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? For far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous 
and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? What does a priest do? He intercedes for people. And here we see Abraham's heart again. He cared so much about the people that he stood up to the Lord himself. And he challenges Jesus and God himself and says, Listen, I can't allow you to destroy all these people. And he goes into a bargaining situation with God himself. And here's the amazing thing about God. Did God wipe Abraham away and says, get out of here. Who are you? God actually bargains with Abraham. And God says to him in verse 26, the Lord says, all right, if there are 50 righteous people in the city of God, uh, Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now he thought about it. He goes, uh, if I may be so bold to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? Abram thought about it. He goes, hmm, maybe there are not 50 people in the whole city that's righteous. Let me go down to 45. If I find 45 people there, he says, I will not destroy it. Verse 29. Once again, he spoke to him, what if there are 40 found there? He says, listen, I'm not too confident about 45. Let me go with 40. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 people there. Okay, and then he goes down to 30. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, he says, in verse 30, he says, then he says, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if there's only 30? And you get the whole picture of Abraham lowering his expectation all the way down. In verse 32, then he says, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if there are only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Verse 33, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abram, he left, and Abraham returned home. In this whole city, they couldn't find ten people. Couldn't find ten people that were righteous. And I was thinking about Abram at this time, and he knew that Lot, his nephew, was in the city. And yet, he thought about Lot, and he goes, I know that guy. He didn't, he's not going to make it neither. What do we see here? We see here the good news about Jesus in the future. Because as Abraham was trying to be the priest of God, he looked around and he's trying to make a deal with God to spare the city and he couldn't do it. And now we know this, the story about behind Sodom and Gomorrah and what had happened. The next chapter was that God destroyed the city. I think about Abraham a lot and how much I appreciate him trying to stand up for us. And there are many, many people like that throughout the whole Bible who stood in the gap to be the priest for us. Now, we don't want to leave all the women out of the story here, right? Because there was another woman that stood in the gap as well. And this is one of my 
favorite story in the Bible. And her name is Abigail. And Abigail also stood in the gap. We're going to find her story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let's turn to our Bibles there. Now, this story here was a little bit different because Abigail stood up for her family. And what had happened was that Abigail, her husband was, lack of a better word, a jerk. And David was roaming the countryside at that time. And David was going to destroy Abigail and her family. And Abigail saw David coming and she stood in the gap in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we're going to read her story here in verse 20. As David was getting ready to descend on this family, the Bible says this about, uh, about Abigail. He says that she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine. There were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing He has paid back evil for good. May God deal with David be ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Again, we read the story about impending doom to this family. And the Bible says this in verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal, her husband. He is just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servants, I did not see the men my Lord, uh, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming, my Lord, be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the people who follow you. Here we see the story again of who? Of Abigail acting in the role of of the priest. Let me ask you a question today. Who's standing up for you? Who's standing up for me? Who's bringing a gift on your behalf? I really appreciate Juan. Every once in a while we get, you know, younger people up here to to share about their lives. And I appreciate Juan opening up. He says, you know what? I, I needed something. I looked at my life and I go, it's pretty messed up. People in the Old Testament, good news for you and me, Abraham, Abigail, Nabal, David, all these people, as they look at their lives, it pointed towards something. What did it point towards? It pointed towards someone like Jesus. It pointed toward a Messiah, and all these people were looking forward to that. That's why when we look all the way from Genesis to Malachi, from David, from, from Abraham, they were looking forward, and Malachi himself says what? I, the Lord, do not change. God has a plan. So as we think about Christmas, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And uh, Juan looked at the scripture before, and we're going to finish it off. In Luke chapter 2.
We're going to look at two people who waited 400 years after Malachi to the birth of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, He says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have preached in the sight of all nations, a light of revelations to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. This is what people were waiting for in the New Testament times. So all of the Old Testament was set up for this very moment. And this guy by the name of Simeon, the Bible says he's been waiting for the birth of Jesus to celebrate Christmas. Not so that he can get some gifts, but to see for his own eyes the salvation of mankind. So when we read these scriptures, I know it's Christmas. So we read a lot about destruction. We read a lot about, you know, hardships. We read a lot about these different things. And the reason why we do that is that in order for us to truly understand what Christmas is, we need to understand the implication of the birth of Jesus himself. Let's continue. One more story here in verse 36. There was also another prophet, Anna. I want to include the women in here. So all these stories, I want to match it up. The daughter of Peniel, the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here's another woman that was looking forward to Christmas. And these are the two words that I want us to look at. Redemption and consolation. Simeon understood that Jesus was the consolation of Israel. Anna understood what? That Jesus was the redemption 
of Jerusalem. So what's the significance of Christmas? That Jesus was both the consolation and the redemption of a people whose hearts has been looking forward to this for thousands and thousands of years. Let me close out Romans chapter 3. In Romans 3, In verse 23. And as Paul wrote to the people about Christmas, what did he say? He says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance he had left the sins committed before and unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as as to be just and the one who justified those who have faith in Jesus. I want us to look at this one word in verse 25. The Bible says what? That Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. And that word, if you look at atonement, if you break down that word, it's a very interesting word. If you break that word down, it says at, if you look at the first two letters, it says at, one meant. It's an old English word that stands for what? That God came to make one out of two, at one meant between God Himself and between man. That's what a priest does. So as we celebrate Christmas, and as we got through this whole story about where Christmas began in Genesis, I hope we really understand that. That Jesus was the one true priest. He was the only one that can do this. Not Abraham, not Abigail, not Malachi, not John the Baptist, but Jesus himself. So, what are you looking forward to Christmas today? You already have it. You already have the gift that God has foretold thousands and thousands of years ago to this ancient couple who roamed the desert of, of, of the Middle East so that we can sit here today that we can understand the fulfillment of all the great history that has brought us to this very moment. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. God, we're so grateful to be able to look at the words and to work through all the text of the scriptures. Got to go back even during this Christmas season and holiday and to get close to you. Got to really understand what these words really meant. God, I know sometimes our hearts are are dull. God, because of just our own sins, just like David, just like Abigail, just like all these people. But I really pray that, God, during this Christmas season, as we have some perhaps extra time after the busyness of the holidays, to really sit down to look at these scriptures and, God, to see their implications for us in our lives. God, I pray that uh, all of us who... Really, we'll be traveling. We'll have a safe Christmas. I know that during Christmas, it's, it's joyful, but at the same time, 
it can really be hard for those who have lost family members, going back to our homes and, and see different things that have maybe laid dormant for years that will come up again. Father, help us to really, really understand really the story of Christmas. And God, to be like Jesus, God, to be the priest for our friends and family and, and Father, for mankind as well. God, thank you so much for Jesus who was our true great high priest. And God, help us to really do well, uh, God, during this holiday season, God. Help us to really take the extra time to get into the word, pray to you, confess our sins, and uh, Father, be open with each other. God, we love you so much. Thank you for the gift of Jesus himself. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.